is 1 John 2, 28 to 3, which is on page 1,226 of the Church Bibles. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Amen. Thank you so much, um, Ellie. We'll be returning to that passage a little later, so do keep it open. Um, well, you're embarking on a mini-series, aren't you? Four, five weeks, I think. God, identity, and me. And I suppose... Um, Nothing captures our preoccupation with this topic of identity quite so much as the term I identify as. Have you heard that? I identify as. It's, it's, a, it's a phrase that's entered the mainstream of culture so rapidly that it's, it's easy to forget, actually, that until recently, relatively recently, your identity was something largely that you were. You were a mum, you were a, a musician, you were a, a, a Christian. Today, though, rather than being something, people identify as something. I identify as working class. I identify as a woman. I identify as pansexual. I, I identify... Now, what is identity? Identity is, is the concept we hold of ourselves. As intelligent creatures, we summarize the world around us, aspects of the world around us, in things we call mental concepts. And identity is simply the concept, the summary idea we hold in our head about ourselves. And, and the phrase I identify as tell, tells us that there's been a, an important shift in our thinking over the past few decades in the way we think about ourselves and the concepts we hold about ourselves. That old way, you know, being something, was more of a, a kind of a submission to, to the circumstances we found ourselves in, wasn't it? I mean, for example, let, let's say uh, my name is Peter Farmer. And, and I might tell you that I, I, I have that name, Peter Farmer, because, well, that's what our family do. We're farmers. We farm the land. We've been farming the land for generations. It's in our blood. This is who we are. So when I wake up in the morning, my first question isn't, who am I today? It's given, who I, it's given what I am, a farmer, what must I now do? 
And if you think about it for a moment, that kind of embeddedness in life and in your context gives us stability and brings a stability to your sense of self, doesn't it? We're not constantly defining and redefining and identifying and re-identifying as something today. Living on the edge of anxiety as to whether we got it right today and whether the way we're identifying is lining up with what social media is telling us we need to be lining up as today. There's a sense of ballast to our lives when you're a Peter Farmer A sense of ballast built on the kind of accumulated wisdom of generations, of centuries even. So do we just need to go back to the good old days? Mm -mm. We are thinking about our identity had its problems as well, didn't it? Sometimes big problems. Yeah, you know, it provided a, a path along which I could walk, sure. What if you didn't want to walk that way? What, what, what if your gifts, for the sake of argument, actually weren't in farming? You wanted to be a dancer. You wanted to be an astrophysicist. Now, now, this, this embeddedness, this sense of, of, of being formed within circumstances isn't so much an anchor for my soul as a straitjacket for my spirit. I remember when I was uh, 11 year old, I failed the 11 plus. And then I failed it again because they gave me a second chance. I still managed to fail that, so I succeeded at failing twice. <laughs> and, um, and we were a very working class family and my grandmother took me, I was distraught, I wanted to be a doctor. The first kid in our family to get to, to university, that was what I wanted. I remember my grandmother took me aside and she said, you know, Glenn, it was a great idea, you know, to, to go to grammar school. And, but what you've got to understand is people like us, our sort of people was the term she used. Our sort of people, we don't do that kind of thing. Our sort of people... Don't do that sort of thing. So you see, you, we can see the attraction, the sense of progress that comes with the phrase, I identify as, as well, can't we? Don't you tell me what I should be doing. Don't you, you choose for me. I'll choose for myself. Thank you very much. Don't you come at me with your traditions and your religion and all the stuff that you've accumulated over the centuries and load it onto me. Load it onto yourself. I'll live my life. Oh, what did she sing? No right, no wrong, no rules for me, sings Elsa. I am my own work of art, sings Madonna. I am my own experiment what not to like. Mm. So today's preoccupation with the self, this thing about I identify, is also onto something, isn't it? Something tells us that every human being is unique with their own story to tell and their own lives to live and their own choices to make. But then, should we all 
get with the program and, and start identifying ourselves. Well, this has brought its problems too, hasn't it? The scale of our self-absorption today. Is this good? Is it? We live in an age of self-obsession, writes American philosopher Michael Allen Fox. Everywhere we look, he says, we encounter a preoccupation, an absorption with self, self-interest, self-development, self-image, self-satisfaction, self-love, self-expression, self-esteem, self-fulfillment, self-help, self-acceptance. The list goes on, he says. He's onto something, isn't he? We've been obsessing about ourselves for five decades, six decades since the self-esteem movement really got going. Has our mental health been improving as our preoccupation with ourselves has grown? Our relationships become more stable and and rewarding children growing up with a sense of enterprise, confident youngsters eager to get out and make something of the world. Hmm. Across the West, mental health issues are on the rise at the moment, especially anxiety and self-harm. And loneliness is on the increase. Both, all of this, especially amongst young people. Now, of course, these negative trends can't, I'm not trying to pin them all on. Today's culture of self-invention. And I'll be saying more about that next week. But there's enough here, isn't there, to suggest that it's certainly not making things better. And the more we turn the, the screw and get more self-obsessed, the less good things feel to be. And so you see, there's enough as we look at the world around us to, to suggest that neither the old embedded ways of thinking about ourselves, our identity, or our modern culture of self-invention, that neither of these things have, have got it right. So in this context, I, I want to take another look at what all authentic Christian faith has to say about this big question of identity because rightly understood, I believe, the Christian faith teaches us to think about identity in a way that brings together the best of both of those traditions. The old way of being embedded in something, the new way of going out and making something of your life and your calling and all that you've been given to do. So that brings us to our passage, the one that we're going to be looking at together. And I'm going to focus tonight just on those three verses, the first part of that passage, and then we'll look at the rest next week. And I'm going to read it again. I want you to read it with me. And now says John, verse 28 of chapter 2, Dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him 
at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Now you say, Glenn, I, I don't see the word identity there. I've, I didn't see the word identity anywhere. True. The Bible doesn't actually use the word identity in its modern sense. But the idea behind our use of the word in its modern sense, that we humans have this ability to hold a concept about ourselves in our own minds and in a story about ourselves that gives stability to how we think and behave in the world, that idea, even if it's not called identity, runs right through the Bible. Indeed, understood in this way, it's actually one of the great themes of the Christian gospel, the call to learn to think rightly about ourselves and who we now are. Because the gospel writers understood, you see, that the way you think about yourself changes everything. And they knew that the way you think about yourself can be a powerful buttress against some of the challenges that life will throw your way. And, and indeed, in our passage here, John is helping his readers to face some of those challenges. And there are two I just want to focus on. The, the whole of this epistle deals with different challenges faced by these early giant Christians on whose shoulders we stand tonight. But the two I want to focus on, first, it's there in verse 28, the challenge to persevere. Now, dear children, John says, continue in him, will you? I know it's hard. I know it's hard. When you said you were no longer bowing down to the family gods, they threw you out. I know what, I know that not your father not speaking to you. I know the fact that you don't have in a pensionless world a future now and you're not sure. I know what it, you're on the outside. They're coming after you. And it isn't easy. And you're not like those Christians in 2,000 years' time who can look back at some of the giants on whose shoulders they stand and say, thank God for the witness of the martyrs, and that gives us some example to live by. No, you haven't even got that. You've got a crucified Savior. And that's all you've got to hang on to. Well, continue in Him. That's John's message. And he wants them to, to persevere in the face of persecution. And that's the challenge he wants to help them face. How is he going to do that? And the, the other challenge, the second challenge, it, it isn't the challenges coming from outside of the church just. It's there in verse 26. It's the challenge coming from inside the church of false teachers infiltrating and undermining people's confidence in the truth. 
and setting doubt, dissension amongst believers. So they're being assailed by conflict without and conflict within. Does that sound familiar to us? What medicine can John bring to these souls? What will bring ballast to their sense of faith, determination to persevere hold and hold firm? It's to see once again who they are. And it's there, do you see it in verse 29? That everyone who does what is right, who holds firm now, who resists the infiltration, everyone who does has been born of God, he says. That's the medicine for their souls. You've been born of God. You thought about what that really means, everybody. What kind of children are born of God? Well, of course, there's a powerful strand of teaching in Scripture that we have been adopted. Callum mentioned that in his prayer earlier, and it's one of the most wonderful metaphors, pictures of, of what God has done in our lives little kid that no one wanted, without a future, out on the street, taken in, adopted male or female into all the privileges and legal standing of a firstborn biological son, all yours adopted. It's part of what it means to be a, a child of God. But as wonderful as that is, that is not the kind of sonship in view here, verse 29. What is in view is more akin to a natural childbirth. The Greek word used for born of God here, verse 29, is begotten. He's saying you have been begotten of God. God has sired a people for himself. Look ahead to verse 9 of chapter 3 there. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. Can it be laid out any more graphically, everybody, what John is saying in some mysterious sense? We're not simply declared children of God, that it isn't a bit of paper that's been signed that we're now children of God. By the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, in the mystery of what's being said here, you are children of God. You belong to Him. So it's not something we identify as, it's something that God identifies about us on the basis of what He's done in our lives. He's gathered a people to himself, not just a people, a family, children. Now, look, I want to be careful here because, because, of course, John is not saying that we've been made divine in the sense of having in any way the nature of the eternally begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, 
second person of the Trinity, eternally begotten Son of God. He alone is the Word made flesh. In fact, John uses a different Greek word to describe the begottenness of Christ. You see it in chapter 4, verse 9, if you'd like to look at it. Chapter 4, verse 9. This is how God This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son. Do you see that? Not his begotten, his only begotten. Or as we have it here, the one and only. He is the one and only. We are children of God. He is the one and only eternal son of God. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, as Peter the Apostle says, we are partakers of the divine nature. He has bestowed on each of us something of the beauty, glory of his own Son by the indwelling of his Spirit. Christ in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. And friends, this, John believes, is what's going to give ballast to the faith of these early Christians. And thank God it did for our sake. This is what will buttress their faith as they face persecution that we haven't tasted. As they face dissension in, in the church that we barely touched on. This is what will make them swim against the tide of the culture and be wholly distinctive to found a church upon which God's blessing will dwell and the gates of hell will not prevail. Do you notice how John gets emotional about this? You might say, I don't know about John, you're getting emotional about it, that's for sure. I am. Do you see how John gets emotional about it as well in verse... One of chapter 3. See what great love, he says. Say, listen. He could say, listen up, guys, what great love. No, he says, see, take the whole thing. Open your eyes to the three dimensions of, of what's going on here. The old uh, AV was behold. It's a much bigger word, isn't it, than, than see. I mean, C is a kind of a, hey, when you've stopped, you know, finished checking your emails, maybe just have a look here, guys. No, that's not the, that's not the meaning of, of, the, of, of the Greek word here, I understand. It, it's a word, actually, that, that conveys urgency, that, that demands our attention, that's saying, guys, are you with me here? Wake up. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. And again, that little word, great love, we, we, we have translated great love, literally is, see of what country is this love? What does he mean, see of what country is this love? He, he, he says it's a love from another world. It's, enough, it's a love from another realm. It's, it's beyond the parameters of human ordinary thought. 
from outer space. See what great love. Oh, and he hasn't stopped there. He's just getting going, John. The Father has lavished on us a love drenching, cascading down like a, a waterfall. We should be called, not just called, that we should be children of God. And that is what you are. And this is our identity. You know, friends, today we live in a culture of entitlement, don't we? So I put it to you that actually we tell people God loves them. They don't find that particularly startling to discover that God should love them. The idea of God loving us today is so in tune with our culture, there's nothing particularly interesting about it. Of course God loves me. I wouldn't be prepared to exist in a God who didn't, to believe in a God who didn't. It's all about me, isn't it? But friends, look, John is speaking here in this text as a Jewish man of Jewish background to, to readers, many of whom actually had themselves been schooled in the Jewish faith and come out of Judaism into Christianity. These were people who'd been schooled in a faith with a profound sense of the holiness, the otherness of God. John had been raised on, on stories, much as, as we have, Stories such as Moses and the burning, the burning bush. Do you remember? Many centuries before, John, after years of exile from the Egyptian courts in which he'd been raised, a Hebrew man called Moses, looking after some sheep on the side of Mount Sinai, catches sight of a bush with the appearance of, of being on fire, but, but apparently not consumed so he he decides to take a closer look but as he approaches he hears a he hears a voice calling to him from the bush Moses Moses do not come any closer take off your sandals for the place where you stand is holy ground In the culture of the time, sandals were a kind of a symbol of, of your independence, you know? If you decided to do something, you put on your sandals and, and you went and you did it. That isn't the order of things here, the voice is saying. This isn't about your plans, your ideas. Take off your shoes. This isn't about you. You are on holy ground. Moses does as he's told, but then he says, Lord, who, who are you? What, what's your name? Who shall I tell them is sending me? Perfectly reasonable kind of question, you, you'd think, wouldn't you? He wanted to know God's identity. 
where God fitted in this God to the scheme of things. I mean, Moses knew about this God and there was that God and there was a God of this mountain and a God of that desert. Which, which God was this? Where did he fit into the scheme of things? That's what Moses feels he needs to know to go on his mission. Do you know what God says? He hears these words, Moses. Aya, Asher, I, I. Aya, Asher, I, I. I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. Hmm. What does that mean? I am. Who I am. Years later, Isaiah the prophet would have a vision. And angels, powerful, fearful creatures would be singing, holy, 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 meaning other, other. That's what holy means, other, 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 other. Something about the transcendent otherness of this God that brought Isaiah to his knees and brings Moses to his just now. I am who I am. What does that mean? I think it means this. Everything we know has a beginning and it has an end, doesn't it? Think of a cloud appearing in the sky for, out of a wisp and then it's a cloud and it has a beginning and and. Then an egg, and then it disappears into the sky and an end. Think of a plant growing up out of the soil and then dying away again back into the soil. A beginning and an end. Think about your life thrown into being by the dynamic energy of DNA and epigenetics producing the person you are out of the soil, up out of the ground for a season. Then you will die away, a beginning and an end. All of us fitting into the greater scheme of things somewhere. That's where she begun and, and that's where she ended. And that's why Moses wants to know, well, where does God fit into this great scheme? But you see, everybody, God can't be understood in that way. He doesn't come into being and pass away he is he doesn't he he doesn't fit into reality reality fits into depends upon him for those interested in these things he is the unconditioned condition of all that is he himself depends on nothing for his existence we we depend on everything for our existence. He is who he is without beginning, without end. Utterly, utterly transcendent, mysterious, other, other, other. Maybe now we're ready to see why 
the Apostle John schooled in these ancient stories is so animated, so insistent on our attention. Guys, are you with me? Because it's this God, this God, who has made himself known to us in Jesus Christ, his Son, who dwelt among us. But more than that, it is this God, this God, who now comes to make his dwelling in our souls, in our very being, and declares himself our Father. Our Father. So for us, identity isn't something we, we go looking for inside. Do you want me to tell you what I went looking for and found inside? No, you don't. Ident- our identity isn't grounded on, on looking inside ourselves. It, it isn't something we assert or construct out of our achievements because you'll do your achievements, then you'll retire, and then no one will remember you. Or you'll lose all that money you made. Or you'll get sick and ill and all of the status you fought for will dissolve away because people's attention will move away from you as quickly as the energy and the attraction drained out of you. Now, if you build your identity, this is sand, friends. Our most fundamental identity is rooted in the love of God who says, you're mine. This is who we are. This is what we are. Okay, we're just about through. Thank you for being so patient. You'd say, hang on a minute, just before you finish, aren't we back to, this is back to John Farmer, isn't it? You know, being told who I am, what I've got to be, here are the rules and the guidelines, and he's the boss, and you're not, and you need to do as... You're told. No, 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 friends. Look, here's the genius of the Christian story. Because in this identity, the more we truly inhabit who we are, the freer we become. Because we flourish as we learn to live in harmony with our design. As we live in harmony with God's call to us to go out bearing his image and make something of his world and exercise the unique gift he gave you and to make a difference in his world bearing his name. And so to be a child of God is to both have all the ballast of the love of God in your heart and in your life and all the adventure of being summoned called, sent for the purpose that he called you into the world to achieve every one of you here is the result of a thought of God himself you've been sent now move do, get on with it out of this place of identity, let's, let's make ourselves worthy to follow in the, in the paths of those on the, 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 the giants on whose shoulders we, we stand. Well, next week we're going to unpack some of these ideas a little bit more. I know you'll be hoping not quite as long. 
we'll look a bit more at today's culture of self. I want to do a bit more cultural analysis next week. I'm ready to look briefly at the great philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, and we'll look a bit at him, but keeping our bookmark in John chapter 3, we'll unpack a bit more of what it looks like to flourish as we learn to live in harmony with who we truly are. Okay, so let me just pray together, can I? And then we're going to have a Q&A, I think, if we have any time. Lord, we just bow before you just now, our Lord and Savior. Some of us here need to hear some of this tonight, Lord. We came empty. We came discouraged. We wanted to be filled. And we sense here there's, that there's something here that we want to drink, to eat, to consume, to have. We want to renew our sense of being your children doing your will, of carrying out your purpose. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll come and teach us. We, we just pray for each other as we struggle in a world which is so confused about identity. Pray that you'll help us to help each other develop this deeper sense of rootedness, in who in Christ we truly are. And we ask it in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Glenn. I'm um, going to have a little time for, for Q&A. Um, first, first question um, is, I know... I'm a child of God. You've got to say Can anyone get me a oh, yes. little glass of water? Somewhere? Absolutely. Jonathan Donnie. Josh, thank you so much. There's <laughs> a cupboard there, I think. First question is, I know I'm a child of God, but I don't feel it. How do I feel it? Right. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question. You, you know, traditionally, the, one of the answers is, well, it's not about feelings. It's about facts. You know, and it is fundamentally about facts. Feelings, um, C.S. Lewis talked about undulation. And what everybody's got to come to terms with in the Christian life is the phenomena of undulation of our feelings. Sometimes we feel up and sometimes we feel down. And it's well recognized in, in the Christian journey that there are desert periods where it's hard to feel that any of this is, is true. Whole sections of the Bible are given over to, to acknowledging this. So it, it is hard. But, but I do think you're right that, that we should feel it at some level as well. I think the only thing I'd, I'd want to say is it, it doesn't have to be straight away. Give it time. You know, hold to the truth. Let God's truth sink in. I think when, when John says, look, he's, he's saying, take, take this in as many ways as possible, that you're a child of God. Let, 
Use your imagination. Let him speak to you through the fatherly hand of, thank you, of a brother or a sister. Um, let, let, let him minister to you from the pulpit, but also through a friend. Learn to sense his fatherly touch in lots and lots of places in your life. He, he's there. Learn to see him. Learn to sense him. And, and then gradually, over time, in the journey of the Christian life, let, let that come, that feeling of being loved. I, I sometimes say to young pastors I'm, I'm talking with, and, and they're so anxious to, to get the Bible teaching right, you know, to get the explanation all right, and, and, and so anxious. And I say, you've got to let God love you. You've got to let God love you, and then through you, you've got to let him love the people. You're not here just to explain stuff. You're here to pastor their hearts with the word of God. And, and so I'd, I'd say let, let, let him lead you into a feeling of being loved. But it, it's a journey. And of course, some of us battle with stuff from our past that get in the way of, of that. And that's a, a journey too. And for some of us, we'll struggle some of those wounds. I struggle with wounds that I struggled with as a young man still. They don't all sort themselves out nicely. It's a journey. It's a holding in, a perseverance, as John says. But we are children of God. That is what we are. Hang on to that. And the feelings will come. Sometimes they'll go. Thank you, Glenn. I appreciate that. Um, maybe time for one or two more questions. Um, what can I, I think I know what you're going to say to this one. What can I say to a mum who says they're bringing up their child as gender fluid? Um, uh, so they're letting them decide whether they identify as a boy or a girl. I find it strange, but I can't say that. Yeah, um, I, that's a great question, actually. And, it, and it's just too good a question for me to try and <laughs> do in, in a two or three sentences. Because the danger is I, I could cause more confusion than, than you know, than, than cast light, and that I know that you do have Andrew Bunt coming in about five weeks' time, and you're spending a whole session on this, and Andrew's really well qualified to talk about this. In fact, I suggested his name, I think, and landed the poor uh, guy with it. I might have time to say a little bit about trans issues next week in Q&A, because I'll try to talk a little bit shorter and have some longer for Q&A. Um, but just for now, I, I think um, let's, let's just leave it there. Okay, okay. Um, next question, is not freedom doing what I want not better than doing what God wants? Is it not more fun? Convince me that freedom that Christ offers me to receive him as Lord is truly better. I, I don't know how I can convince you. It, it depends where, that, where you're coming from. It's a great question. It depends where you're coming from with it and what lies. I always want to, I was, I'm sorry, I'm a shrink, you know. I always want to know what lies behind that question. Where's it coming from? What's going on? What's the story? And I, I think un, until I have a bit more of a, of a grasp of the story, I, I'd risk saying something that's a bit trite, you know, um, Except all that glitters, honestly, is not gold. All 
all that glitters is not gold. And there's something in the old wisdom that, that says, d go deeper. Don't just go for what seems right now and easier now and gives you the hit now. Because you may find yourself in no time at all addicted and drawn in. So um, hold back. But I, that's trite. And I don't want to be trite because I'd love to hear the story that, that's behind that before giving a fuller answer. Thank you, Glenn. We're going to stop there for this week, our Q&A. Glenn will be back with us, as you said, next week. And we really appreciate you, Glenn, and appreciate your time. Um, as the band